Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Keep Calm and Cope CoronaCast. Uh, many of our episodes have been dealing with the stages of grief. Uh, we've gone through stages of grief, and we've even covered gratitude, which I think was one of our most fun conversations ever. Um, but it's hard to think of, you know, what, we, we know these topics are important, and we want to talk about these things. Um, it's not always fun. You know, it's not always fun talking about what people are going through and being there for people who are anxious or depressed or grieving. Um, I think Marcy's episode on gratitude was so powerful that when we shift our minds and think about the power of the mind um, and live in gratitude, it helps to cope with those other things. We certainly don't want you to um, not pay attention to those other things. You don't want to brush over them. Like you don't want to put those feelings in a box somewhere or brush them under the rug or sweep them under the rug, as some might say. But today we're going to deal with something that's actually um, super duper sad. I don't know how you can paint a happy brush on this at all, but you can paint um, some coping skills, uh, you know, make them come to, uh, your, you know, give you ideas on how to cope with someone who is sick with COVID-19 or worse has died of COVID-19. Now I'm fortunate enough not to know anyone in my circle who has died of COVID-19, but I know that many, many have people in their circle. So um, Lindsay Griffiths is on the call today. Marcy Shunk is on the call today and Katie Barnard is on the call today. So I'm so excited. We're all here together to start the show and talk about this super difficult topic. Um, Y'all forgive us if we laugh at some point because we're known to do that, um, but we're laughing because whatever, um, you know, maybe nervous laughter or maybe something was funny. So this is not a funny topic, but just know that um, we're here to listen. We're here to offer any kind of resources. We're not therapists. We won't offer um, any, um, advice, no, no medical advice or, or mental health, you know, advice, but we're going to talk about this stuff because this stuff needs to be talked about. All right. Are you ladies ready to roll? Yes, indeed. Awesome. Awesome. So I was doing a little research on this. Um, as we know, over in your area, Lindsay, um, you're probably suffering. Well, you're definitely no probability about it. It's definitely quantitatively noted that you're suffering the worst of this in the country. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic has altered everyone's lives, especially those who are in the hot spots. At least 20,000 people have already died from this. I think today the number's higher. Um, that was, you know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The number's definitely higher, but I think for sure it's, it's, it's what more than triple over where you live, Lindsay, in the Northeastern corner of the United States. Um, it's really, yeah. yeah. How do you feel about that? Well, I think, you know, I think even New Jersey may have passed. Um, I mean, we're either second or maybe even first in the number of deaths, although I can't, cannot believe we, we're higher than New York at the moment. Um, it's tough. Uh, I have a very good friend of mine uh, works in a nursing home. She's a physical therapist. And I think when you work in a nursing home, slightly different than when you're working in a hospital, 
one of the things that happens is that you get to know the patients very well and you get to know the patient's families very well. And so it affects you very deeply because those are people that you care about and you care about what happens to them. So I've gotten to see firsthand through her experience what, what the impact of that has done. And it's, it's been very hard on her. Um, and, you know, it is sort of a waiting game because you do expect that it's going to happen to somebody that you know. Um, and the risk is very real that it could happen to her. I've got another friend whose husband is a nurse locally. So, you know, the exposure to her and her family is very high as well. Um, and just, just watching that happen is, is quite overwhelming and scary. And, um, you know, we, we've also had it too. I, I work with an international organization. And so the impact on our organization has been quite substantial as well. And we've had um, one of our members actually ended up in the hospital on a ventilator for um, several weeks. And fortunately, wow. he, um, he has been able to go home and is recovering at home. But, um, you know, it was a very real possibility there for a couple of weeks that uh, he wasn't going to make it. And um, that was a very scary time for us in the organization that, uh, that someone we knew and really cared about um, was, uh, was quite seriously ill. You know, the fact that it's uh, COVID-19 is taking the lives of people who wouldn't have otherwise died, that is, so it's not what we thought in the beginning, where just babies and old, the elderly are vulnerable. I mean, it, we are now, I mean, like, there's no, there's no information that we can look to for guidance on this because we've never faced this before. So now when we see young people or, or teens or people who are, you know, generally healthy, just get this and die. Like you mentioned, um, the, the, the guy that we know who, I, I don't know if we should mention his name, but I think he did mention his name before Lindsay, who was on the ventilator. Once you're on the ventilator, that's, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is it. You know, it's very scary. But I think one of the things we should talk about, um, is how do you, you know, we're sort of collectively grieving this, you know, we're grieving the losses for people we don't know. We're grieving the losses of things that are happening, like our normal sense of life, our normal life connections, jobs. I know a lot of people, 19 people I know in my circle who have lost their jobs because of COVID-19. That's, that's a lot of collective grief right there. Um, you know, so I think that as we've mentioned before, grief can take many forms, but I've never, I've always attributed it to death, that loss, or maybe divorce, you know, a major, you know, but not like, um, you know, the loss of control or the loss of being able to be there to say goodbye. I think that's the hardest part for me to imagine is if I lost a friend or a loved one and I, I couldn't be there to say goodbye or I couldn't, you know, let them know, even when you're diagnosed with COVID-19, you know, you should definitely have a chance to say goodbye and to process your feelings. But I think that's not happening. That's well, not I, happening even, I'm sorry to, to jump in. Um, Lindsay, go ahead if, if there's something. I, I was just going to say, I have a, a small personal experience with that. It's unrelated and related to COVID-19. A couple weeks ago, my mom had a massive seizure, as you guys know. And we, she had to go to the hospital. So um, my dad wasn't able to go with her because of everything going on with the virus. Obviously, they're taking all kinds of precautions, especially here in New Jersey. Um, you know, everybody, 
fortunately the emergency medical services were fantastic. We're very lucky to live in an area where our nurses, our doctors, our EMTs, the police are all incredibly wonderful, very kind. Um, they showed up very quickly at my parents' house. The EMTs happened to be right up the street from them, which is lucky. Um, but my dad couldn't go with them and we couldn't go with them. And we didn't get information from them for a couple of hours. And that was only because my dad called. Um, so not knowing in that period of time if my mom was okay, if she was going to have another seizure, if she was going to survive that, um, and not knowing if she was going to be able to come home again or if we were going to be able to go and see her, uh, if she wasn't going to get the chance to come home, I got a glimpse at what people are going through who are going through this process of basically seeing off their loved ones to go to the hospital and then not seeing them again yeah. by, you know, that virtual experience of, of having to say goodbye where nurses and doctors are able to sort of sneak those tablets in to, to do that. And I cannot imagine having to do that. I just, I mean, just that small thing with my mom and she was only in the hospital for 24 hours. And fortunately, you know, she's getting very good care at the moment, but it was, just overwhelming and I my heart truly goes out to everybody who's who's in that position because the grief must be so compounded by that inability to really communicate to people how much you love them and um, be able to say goodbye in a way that feels um, gives you some sort of closure and I mean you know there are obviously there are other opportunities where or not opportunities that's the wrong word but times when that happens you know a car accident or um, other times when there's a sudden loss of a person, but, um, you know, in a time like this where you feel like you should get to be there and you want to be there and you can't be, it must be so frustrating and awful to, to not be there for somebody. And, and it feels very helpless. I agree. Doesn't that lend uh, a lot of power to the phrase of, you know, carpe diem, you know, you live like it's your last day. Um, I would be distraught if I lost a loved one or someone close to me and I wasn't able to say my goodbyes. Lindsay, I think the story of your mom is super scary. I mean, like, because in my mind, even going to the hospital puts you at risk or being around healthcare people. Those are the people you need the most in that. But wow, you must have been terribly worried. Yeah, it was. And my dad had seen the whole thing happen and it was extremely traumatic for him and uh you know for i obviously broke quarantine to go over and be with him which was a, a difficult decision um but one that my sisters and i discussed and very quickly um made this i'm the closest uh geographically to my parents and so we made that decision that it made the most sense for me to go over and sit with him and be with him so that he wasn't by himself um and to support him um and you know i've, I've been I was there uh, with my mom then when my dad had to go grocery shopping a couple days later. And apparently the hospitals are doing such a great job of separating regular yeah. patients from the COVID patients that my mom didn't even need to be quarantined after she had been in the hospital, which oh, I, wow. I found just amazing. Yeah, they weren't concerned at all about that because she, she did ask. I'm so um, happy to hear um, that the, the healthcare system is working so well in 
such trying times where the the numbers are so high you know well i'm glad look it's always refreshing to hear when our united states healthcare system is working at all um but the fact that it's working so well where you are it's really great um you know thinking about your feelings or what i would have felt if i were in your position um now y'all know my mom is in a different state than your mom i would i would feel that way for sure you know all the anxiety and concern and want to be with her no matter what and break quarantine to do so and check on her um i do believe at least in california you can be with immediate family so that that would have been no question if my son or husband were in that situation or you know if my mother were like yours i would have been there too um a, a little idea okay so i was doing a little research about this and i didn't know this existed but because a lot of people who are in their 20s and 30s and so are suffering COVID-19, which as I mentioned earlier, we didn't expect to happen. There are, um, there's this great, it's, it's called dinner, the dinner party. It's a great platform um, for people of that age who are accustomed to technology and online groups and, you know, chatting virtually and such. It's a place they go for grieving. I thought that was really interesting. It's, um, I don't know why they named it the dinner party, but I guess if you're like I am, you celebrate someone's life after they're gone. Um, but these lives are so short. These are 20 and 30 something year olds and that's just obviously too early. But I thought that was pretty cool that they have a place you can go. And even if you don't know, um, everybody in the group the person you're grieving you, you all know so you it's it reminds me of that old movie um oh my gosh help me here where they all get together um their friend passed away the, the big chill that's it thank you <laughs> <laughs> was that katie <laughs> it was i'm i'm trivia Pop you are nerd. you are so cool you're you're totally um that was that's the movie so it reminds me of sort of a virtual that like it's called the dinner party and it's for 20 and 30 somethings to go to grieve and of course the the common pain point is the person who passed so i think that's pretty cool that that's available today that you know since we can't be there with our loved ones who are sick and passed that's a um, good alternative. Another thing that makes me think about is, you know, let's make a list of the people you're going to call and check on every two weeks. Friends, family, um, you know, somebody you used to be close to that you still care about a lot, but you haven't talked to in a long time. You know, put some, you know, check-in duties on your calendar. Somebody who might be living alone or feeling isolated, uh, or even like those 19 women I know who lost their jobs. I mean, I check in with them. I help them. We try to network them. Um, I don't know that there's anyone who's really hiring right now, not in the way that, that you know, would replace the jobs they lost. But um, reach out. Reach out to people who work in your field and pass along their, those, the names of people who've lost their positions. And then just check in. You know, we check in every week. So I, I love y'all. We, we Facebook message we meet on this podcast marcy you check in don't you don't you have family across the country um i i do and it's interesting because i was thinking in addition to having the grief with not being able to be there to say hi to someone there's also right now i feel like there's this extended period where many of us aren't able to see our parents at all or are afraid to see our parents and you know my parents live 10 minutes from me and I'll at this point 
you know, we, for the first couple of weeks of quarantine, we were really strict. And then we, as things started, as we started feeling more confident that, that we weren't sick and the boys were out of school, we will do patio meets where, you know, we'll come over and we'll just socially just sit uh, in separated places, uh, but be able to at least have a conversation and see each other. And it's so hard. It's so hard not to be able to you know, hug your parents and, and things, but at least I can, I can physically be in their presence. And that's possible for me because I, I live in their vicinity and it's not possible for anybody who has to travel to do that. And so that I think is especially challenging. And I think of the, my grandmother is 93 um, and lives alone and is, you know, she's, her hearing is a little bit faded, but other than that, she's super healthy. She's one of these, you know, New England, hardy Scandinavian women. (laughs) And And she, you know, for her birthday, my, I called her to wish her a happy birthday in April and my uncle was there and I was shocked. And he said, you know, he said, when a 93-year-old woman tells she wants you to come visit her for her birthday, you do it. Yeah. And so they took the chance because it was their opportunity to see her. And I completely understood and appreciated that. And so it's really making difficult decisions right now as to, you know, where's the point where we say we want to protect our lives for longevity versus we want to live our lives. Well, I think that as we see, um, the whole point of staying home was really to flatten the curve, and now the curve has flattened, at least in California. Not here. Yeah. <laughs> not here. That's what I mean. In California, it has. So we are um, certainly not saying, hey, free for all, let's all get out and throw a party. But in different waves, we are going back to work. You still have to wear a mask. Um, you still have to stay six feet apart. Um, so that we don't go back to, or, to where it was or worse. Because you still, we don't, without the testing, we don't know who has this. You know, you're walking around with people who carry this. Um, but, you know, I wanted to talk about the fact that you're, that, that's really, I, I think that some of the isolation for some people is worse than the fear of the COVID-19. So I kind of think it's awesome that your uncle visited. I mean, that is his mom. So it, they do say immediate family needs to be, you know, there for one another, just practice cautionary measures. So I I think that's really awesome that he was there to visit his mom. Um, I want to say that I read a little bit about, you know, how to handle this. And one of the uh, ideas was to consider postponing grief. I don't know how someone can do that. I mean, I think they mean, I, at first I thought they meant going through the measures, you know, the process of, you know, planning a funeral or a memorial service. But how do you postpone grief? I don't think you can control grief, right? I mean, we've talked a lot about grief on this show. Um, Can you? I mean, I I don't know if I could postpone grief. I feel like anyone can, but but I don't know that it's healthy. (laughs) Right. Oh, I got I mean, it's, you can bottle it up for so long and then it comes out. And if you if you don't give yourself the space to do it, it's going to come out at a time you don't want it to. That's what I, in a way you don't want it to, or toward a person you don't want it to. Yeah. Yeah. That. Go ahead. I mean, we're, we're in such a surreal situation. I have a friend and in fact, I, I interviewed her um, last week on my other podcast. 
Um, and she, her father passed away on March 3rd and wow. yeah, right at the beginning of everything happening. And so they haven't been able to have his memorial service because of the quarantine. Yeah. And so she and I had a conversation about postponing grief um, because she said it's been not that they haven't been grieving per se, but she's she's living in her childhood home. Um, she that's where she lives with her mom and one of her brothers and a few days away with his children. He's divorced. Um, and so she said, you know, obviously there's things that are very real and right in front of her, but because the situation is very surreal. I think she's able to sort of tell herself sometimes that her dad's just off on a trip or somewhere else. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's easy because things are so strange at the moment for everybody to sort of pretend that it's not really happening. And it's not, she said, it's not that they're not sad and devastated and, and very upset about it until she said they have that memorial. It's really not going to feel real. And she said, they really need those, the moments of people talking about what her dad meant to them and sharing those stories for her to be able to have closure around that grief. And obviously, as, as we've discussed here at length, grief is not a, a final linear process. It, you know, right. you go through different uh, valleys and peaks and, and all those things. He knows that too. But I think, you know, for all of us, we need those, those things that happen to sort of move some of that process along. And she hasn't gotten to have that because of everything that's going on. Do you guys know anybody who is, um, have you ever heard the phrase dissociative fugue? I, th I think it's a self-defense mechanism where you put yourself in this place of you're sort of outer, you're, you're just going through the motions. You're sort of not your own mm -hmm. self. And it, has anyone on the call heard of that before? Dissociative mm -hmm. fugue. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe. That. Yeah. So I, I, I probably lived through that when I went through my um, last divorce a little bit because I had to raise a child. But yeah, you sort of put yourself in auto mode. You know, you, you, you get it done. You go through the motions. You're, you're, it's a safety thing. It's a self-defense mechanism. So I think that your point, Lindsay, about telling stories and listening. I think that's super powerful. Um, Katie, did you want to say something that I interrupted with my dissociative? Yeah, no, you're good. Um, in terms of, you know, the new funeral experience, um, my mother-in-law lost her father. Um, she's my husband's stepmother, so we were not close to, to Grandpa Grover. Um, I had never met him, but I had tremendous heartache for her. Yeah. Um, he was admitted to the, he was admitted to the hospital. It was non COVID related, but you know, he could have no visitors and he passed alone and Aww. yeah, it's brutal. Um, and then for the funeral, you know, they had, they could only have so many, you know, I think 10 or under people there. So it was her and her sister and, and the immediate family. But what that got to me is later they were talking some, there was some conversation about, you know, central Missouri, what, what funeral homes are doing. And there's some funeral home, I think it's in Jefferson City, where they have um, basically made like a big picture window in the front so that you can go up and see the casket from the street. And 
I just, it just is like a punch to the gut thinking about that. Yeah, that's kind of, I think that just, look, we're always honest on this show. I think that's weird. Um, Agree. <laughs> sort of like the windows at Macy's in New York City at Thanksgiving. I just don't think that's, I don't know. For me personally, though, I'll tell you uh, what brings tears to my eyes, and it did touch a chord in me. Um, you will all be happy to know that I feel deeply. Um, the 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 being in the hospital and not being able to have visitors. That's what makes yeah. I'm always sad mm -hmm. for the person who's dying. Who's um, alone. Yes. Yes. That is the hardest part. So it doesn't look the funerals. I'm not into that. I was raised by a pathologist who also, as you know, was a coroner. So to me, the body is the body, you know, once the person passes, it's while that person's alive and can feel deeply and feels so sad and alone and isolated and can't be with their loved ones when they're losing their life. It's not to me about the funeral, but I know for other people who attend funerals and who, uh, that is how they process their grief and mourn the loss. And, you know, I know it's important. Um, I frankly have seen autopsies and I've been to morgues and I've seen morticians do what they do and I'm getting cremated. Just saying, take what works, <laughs> <laughs> take what works, give it to science and what's left. You can, you know, sprinkle over, you know, the ocean in Hawaii. That's, that's my plan. But I do know that a lot of people process grief through going to, or, you know, sitting Shiva or going to um, a funeral or a wake, if you will. So I guess, Katie, that is meaningful mm -hmm. to many who are left behind. Um, and I worry less about them than I do about the person who's dying alone. That yeah. once they're dead to me, that's, you know, it's done. Right. To me, to me, the funeral window was good intention. Um, yes. And, you know, maybe, maybe morticians are just a different breed of cat. Maybe they just don't understand that it's kind of freaking weird. <laughs> well, they are a different breed of cat. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Not, not great execution there. You see, there I go laughing on a very serious topic. Sorry, folks, I'm not insensitive, but we do laugh on this show. Katie is so funny. Um, I think that if I'm ever on my deathbed, I want you there, Katie, because I'd like oh. to. I'd like to go out with a great laugh. <laughs> <laughs> what about the importance of um, telling stories? You know about the person, like in Louisiana, we celebrate the life of those who've passed. You know, you've heard the first line dance in the French Quarter, and um, mm -hmm. we always get together. Always lots of food and totally lots of alcohol. But what about telling stories? Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a good story uh, right uh, there. <laughs> the, power, uh, <laughs> the power of the dramatic pause. <laughs> that's, that's one of those uh, qualities and sort of quality skills, I guess, that I admire in other people. I am not a great storyteller and I don't necessarily retain information in the same way as other people. I can you know, talk to you about anything, but I don't retain facts. And so I love stories and I wish I could retain more about my family. And I mentioned that we're doing social distance get togethers once in a while with my parents. So I was over there I don't know, a weekend or two ago, and my brother and his girlfriend were there, and so we're all sitting in the backyard separately and talking, and we were talking about my grandfather, who was a fantastic storyteller. He was this big, 
Italian man who was a great salesperson and entrepreneur and super creative and always had something going on. And he would tell these stories and these jokes and it was so fabulous. And we were trying to reconstruct some of the things that he used to tell us and it was just like piecemeal because none of us have, have the same capacity. But it was wonderful even just to sit there and have that conversation because in some ways you can see the threads of that person in all of us as we're sitting around talking about our memories of him and what we do remember of the stories that he used to tell. So yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, so I'm glad that there are people out there who appreciate storytellers and storytelling. And although I very rarely show, um, I mean, I'm very open with my feelings. I'm super transparent, but um, the way that I grieve is through writing. So I do tell stories and I've lost, um, in fact, if it's okay with you ladies on the show notes, when we share this on Facebook, I'd like to put a story I wrote um, when my brother passed away and another one when my uncle, who was like a father to me, passed away. And you'll see what I mean by um, grieving through writing. It, it, it is my as tears flow from others' faces, words come out of my fingertips onto the page. So um, I wrote a piece called Accepting Death as a Part of Life is Hard. Um, and a lot of people didn't take well to the, the piece, but I didn't do it for them. I don't care, really. Y'all know people's opinions of me is none of my business. But um, it was for me that I wrote this. And I think that, Katie, that, that the um, funeral parlor who's, that's putting the bodies on display. I think it's for the living that they do that, you know? Absolutely. So that's what this was for me. So um, I don't care if anybody liked it or didn't like it, or, you know, I'm not attached to their feelings about it. It was a way to process my own feelings. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to put the two pieces I wrote, one on my uncle, one on my brother, just to show how I grieve through storytelling. Is that okay? One hundred percent. No, I think like storytelling is a human ritual. That's it's part yeah. of who you are. Mm-hmm. And and Marcy, you yeah, are I agree. a great storyteller. You just aren't taking credit for it. Uh, not that it matters what I think of you, but I adore you, and I think you're an amazing storyteller. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I agree with that too. And I think you know, storytelling and and Marcy, you illustrated this so beautifully. It's it's the way that we keep that person alive for ourselves because it's how we remember who they were when they were scared. So, you know, especially in families and, and among our friends, the, the way that we telling stories of who they were and, and how they, how they were when they were here. Yes. We glorify the the dead as well, um, and I'm okay with that. You know, I think y'all love me, but when I'm gone, you're gonna speak so beautifully of me, and you're gonna love me even more, and you're gonna tell great stories. You're never gonna remember the pain in the ass times. <laughs> you're always gonna be good. So um, another thing we need to talk about, and this is real. Look, my mom lives in an assisted living facility where seven people have passed away, and so they've they've created a branch in the facility for those with COVID-19. Do you think that makes me feel much better? No, not too much, considering we know how it's um, so highly contagious, you know, in the air for three hours, on the surface for three days. 
So, but what can I do about it, right? I can't do anything. That's the best they can do. I'm not allowed to go over and see her. I can't take her out. She certainly wouldn't be safe living here. My husband comes and goes because of the nature of his work. But it's the reality, you know? So she sees people being wheeled out in the ambulance. And before they get to the hospital, by the time they get there, they've passed. It's a scary reality. And she's 85. So as you might imagine, most of the people there are elderly. They're fitting the stereotype of the most vulnerable. Um, certainly we've learned that that's not always true, but in her case, the old people are dying of COVID-19. How do I handle that? I've had to learn to go with that. I have no control over this. I have to let it go. Katie, I want to ask you, you know, your baby, you have a little baby and she's going back to school. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Going back to school? Oh, up and down and all around. Um, I will say it absolutely has been huge for mental health and that's kind of where we came down on it, that mental health matters. Um, trying to, you know, my husband's basically running a law practice downstairs. Um, I run a business and when it was just the two of us and a baby for 12 hours a day, it was, it was brutal. Um, I ended up doing a, a lot of research. Um, of course, confirmation bias, I had to make sure I checked that like, Switzerland, some guy came out and said, babies aren't even carrying the virus. I thought, oh, I believe that science. <laughs> and then I'd be like, oh, wait, right. <laughs> um, wow. But even taking an objective look, um, she's in the lowest risk age group. Um, I also just have gut trust in, in her daycare facility. They're in the neighborhood. They're great. Um, they're taking lots of extra precautions. It still weirds me out, and, and it may be a week by week thing um but i th think right now it's it's best for her and it's it's best for us um and coming back to you know someone mentioned earlier that for some folks like the isolation is is just as hard as the threat of the disease yeah and i think we're at a we're at a point where we're, we've all been in this for about two months at least and and mental health does matter and if, if there are some i'm not saying go get a haircut and throw caution to the wind but with prudence, if there are some things we can do to preserve mental health, that, that does matter. Well, I do know that, um, I think we, that Lindsay brought this up. Lindsay, you have such great resources, by the way. And, and hey, let's do give a shout out to your amazing podcast. Why don't you mention what it is, when it is, what's it called, how can we tune into it? And then I'm going to talk about mental health from an expert. Sure. It's called The Weekly Quarantine. It comes out on Monday mornings. Nice. Nice. Um, and you're so great at that, I'm sure. I'll, I'll tune in more for certain. Um, but let's talk a little bit about where to go to get mental health now that you can't just hop in your car and drive someplace. I think Lindsay talked about Talkspace before. Um, I am not sure if my mind is playing tricks on me or if you actually did say something about that, but you did definitely mention telehealth. And I think mental health clinicians are helping people to understand their feelings and uh, develop their own coping skills. And, you know, I, for one, know that coping skills often come from having a core support group. And then again, I think about those who are lonely and living alone and don't have a core support group. So places like Talkspace, and you know, mental health professionals who are doing telehealth, please reach out to them. You know, take that initial step to see a therapist. It's incredibly uh, hard, but do it anyway. Uh, luckily, many therapists have developed 
you know, these services or transition, just like, just like what we're going through with our businesses, how do we transition what we do for a living to virtual? They have done that as well. Um, it can be a little intimidating going to therapy in person. I think for some, maybe telehealth will be easier. If you look at the social sciences behind how people open up on social media and say things they would never say face-to-face, -face, maybe telehealth is an even better option if you um, know what I mean. Do you, do you see where I'm going with that? There's a lot of truth to that, and I'll, I'll say a couple of things. So I know some people who tried Talkspace and have had mixed results, so I will just give that caution there. Um, I think it really, again, it depends on the connection you have with who you're talking to, and so I think there can be some very good therapists on there, and may, not that there are bad therapists, but maybe people you don't have the right chemistry with. So I think it's one of those things where if you don't have a good experience, don't be afraid to keep trying. And that's true with in-person therapy as it is with online therapy. So good just point. as a precautionary yeah. tale, if you don't have good luck, it doesn't mean stop trying. That's awesome. I, good point. I, Yes, I am using telehealth, which means I am speaking with my in-person therapist on the phone once a week. I started doing that a couple weeks ago. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's, awesome. Yep, That's we, awesome. I said to her, you know, I, I need some extra help. I think it's important that we talk on the phone and not just wait for this to be over. She's been great about that. That's, you can still do that. It doesn't have to be, you have to have therapist that you now on the phone so I have a friend who was in that boat and she found a therapist and they just started with phone calls um, so you can either look as we've said before here psychology today is a great place to find and give you a referral for um, a therapist um, usually they have a list of people that they can refer you to um, and uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? It'll come to me. So, um, but yeah, those are the Marcy. things that I, I would recommend. I'm sorry to interrupt, Lindsay. You just made me think of something. Um, so was it Marcy or was it you, Lindsay, or, or who was talking about guilt? Didn't we talk about guilt on the show? Um, yes. Yes, we have. <laughs> yeah. So look. That's a good time. I have to tell, not a, that was not the smoothest segue. I just interrupted Lindsay and said, Marcy, talk about guilt. I love that I get called out for that. How's that? <laughs> you know what? Y'all don't even ever talk to me about guilt. Because look, guilt and gossip are the two biggest worthless endeavors. I mean, like that is just in my opinion. But I know that most people I know suffer guilt in some way or at some point in their lives. I mean, I was raised Catholic. They tried to put guilt upon mm -hmm. me. It was the gift that kept on giving, you know, but I don't buy into it. However, a lot of people do get caught up in guilt. What, what do you think, Marcy? Oh, no question. I mean, I, and I, and I don't try and dwell on it. And I know that it is not a feeling that I should be feeling and I try and discount it, but without question, if something goes wrong and I do it more often than not with parenting, there's always this question, and I don't know if it's just more you know, not knowing if you're doing a good job and the rewards are so far away, um, that's part of it. But it's that feeling of, gosh, was that the wrong thing to do? And feeling guilty about, <clears throat> excuse me, making mistakes in that regard. 
that's probably the one place where I feel guilt pretty frequently. In other instances, I'm with you. It's not something that I spend a whole lot of time on. And I think part of it is guilt comes comes with, in, in part, worrying about what other people think of you. And so if you mm-hmm. release that, then you can release a lot of the guilt. So my guilt is all about the way I think of myself <laughs> instead. So yes, I, I don't think it's healthy and I certainly isn't useful, right? Feeling guilty about something that I did with you know, parenting or whatever is not helpful to anybody other than perhaps to give me a check the next time it comes around to think if there's a different approach that I might use. That is a powerful lesson. I would say that, yes. um, you know, so first of all, if you ever do care about what other people think of you, you're a rock star, but you shouldn't care about other people and what they think. But if you do, we just know that we think you're amazing. Okay. Um, but there are two kinds of guilt. You know, there's the guilt that you, you know, did or didn't do something. And then in this case, I think during COVID-19, a lot of people might suffer what's called survivor guilt. Um, it's often, you know, more pronounced and it makes you feel like you shouldn't be happy in this time of sadness, or maybe it should have happened to you and not someone else. Or what if your child passes of COVID-19 and you're alive? That's, that's like, oh my God, that's the, uh, I don't think that should happen. I don't think we should outlive our children, but uh, I don't get to make that decision. <laughs> That'd be nice if I could, but I think survivor guilt is going to be very prevalent during this um, time of crisis. And that is the one guilt of the two that I could see, you know, that is not a waste, you know, like, well, it kind of is a waste, you know, but it also is something that I think a lot of people couldn't help but feel. Um, now this feeling of I should have, shouldn't have done something that, that guilt, that's a waste to me. Um, you live your life, you do the best you can. Um, don't do stuff that you're going to feel guilty for and then let it go, move on. So what do you think about survivor guilt at least? Susan, I think your point about survivor guilt is really an important one because I think it extends past just the, you know, people being sick from COVID-19 or passing away from COVID-19. I think because there's so much grief around or you know somebody else got furloughed and they didn't and you know yeah. how i didn't get furloughed but that person did so i think you know there's a lot of nuance here that is coming out of this entire situation and so there is going to be a lot of layers that that people have to unpack um and i think it's it's going to be hard and people are going to have a lot of that um, you know, either we need to explore on our own, or or with the help of a, a, a professional, as as you suggested. Well, you know, all that you say is great. Unfortunately, we missed a little bit of it because our internet connection has been a little spotty this time. But I think everyone across the country who listens to this is suffering uh, weird internet because everybody's on their lines now. There's nobody going to to the T1 line at work. People are working from home and you know, pulling from the bandwidth. But what I heard, Lindsay, was incredible. And um, <laughs> I, I agree with what you said that I heard. Um, but in closing, I think we should start to talk about what people can do 
and I've put together six things that people could do. So, um, you know, I guess six ways to help loved ones grieving deaths during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I don't know if you'll find help in this, but I think you might, which is why we're presenting it. Otherwise we wouldn't. But the first is to go ahead and plan a funeral or a memorial. You know, even if it means you can't implement or act on it till later, the, the planning process, that for me is like reading facts. You know, that for me is like knowing what's going to happen to me if I have a disease or if something's happened that's out of my control, I wanna read about what's to be expected. Um, it just helps to calm my mind. I know, um, Marcy, you're the same way about facts. You, you, I mean, they bring me joy, you know, I mean, even in bad yes. times, you know. Well, <laughs> and, I, and I wonder if what's true about this is true. So there is psychology research out there that says that people are happier when they're planning their vacation than even when they're on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> and... So there's maybe there's something to it for this as well. It you know adds a sense of peace. Yes, I, I agree. That's a great um yeah, I think because you have I mean our dreams and visions are so grand and wonderful. If you have this big giant happy brain that I have, you you're planning the most amazing vacation slash memorial, you know. <laughs> I mean, so um if I'm gonna plan my own memorial or one for someone I love, it's gonna be a shebang. So um, hold tight. Let's hope you don't have to, you know, play it out anytime soon. But if you do know that I probably have a file somewhere with what to do, <laughs> um, sharing happy memories, that's something else you should do. Let's, let's share the good. That, that's, that's what some people call it a celebration of life versus a funeral or a memorial, but, um, share happy memories about this person. Um, you might want to spare all the negatives, you know, let that go. Um, avoid burdensome requests. Okay. So, um, you know, I am one of those people that does this and uh, Lindsay, you know, for sure. Um, I'm always like, what can I do to help? How can I help you? There's a new progressive insurance commercial out that you may have seen, um, where this therapist follows this guy around. The guy is always trying to help, you know, he's like helping people get the best price and helping people. And the guy's like, they didn't ask for help not your turn, you know? Um, so that would be another piece of advice, you know, let people know I'm thinking of you and I'm here to talk to you or to act on it, help you, you know, plan something, get something done, do whatever, and then let it go. Like, don't constantly say, I'm still here, you know, I'm still happy to help. It becomes burdensome. And sometimes people don't know what help they need. So, it pressures them to come up with something that's useful for you to do. And you certainly don't want to be um, that person who's, you know, burdensome. Don't disappear, however. Did somebody want to say something on that? Yeah, I was just going to say on the on the burdensome requests, I think, you know, I've, I've read things about this. And I think in those cases, what you can do is offer something concrete that they can say yes or no to. So yes, say, yes, yes. Would it be helpful to you if I, and especially in this time where you have to be remote, but if you're nearby, you can say, would it be helpful to you if I brought by some meals and dropped them off? Would it be helpful if I organized some deliveries for you? Um, do you need X, Y, and Z? So rather than just saying, what can I do to help? Which, as you say, puts the burden on them to come up with something. Yeah. You can say, can I give you these things? You know, can That's I genius. order your groceries? 
so that they can say yes or no, or this person's already taking care of that, those types of things, um, rather than putting the burden on them to come up with it, but you're still doing something concrete to help them. Super smart, super smart and very helpful. Um, because I'm the type of person that knows that people want to be needed. And so I try to make them feel needed and I try to make them feel appreciated, which then puts the burden on me to come up with something that makes them feel good about their offer to help me. And so I get it. That's very powerful. I'm so glad your internet worked on that one (laughs) because we heard that whole message and that was super, super good, good information. Um, another thing. Yeah, totally. Um, Katie, what do you think about this? So as much as I say, um, you know, put it out there and then walk away, um, I'm not saying disappear. So don't disappear. You know, a lot of people say, I don't know what to do. And the other extreme would be don't do anything and you you disappear because you think, oh, she's going through a tough time. Um, And Katie, I want to hear your input on this too, because we talk about our husbands all the time. My husband says to me, you know, I just need to be left alone to process these feelings. But women, they want you to reach out and talk to them and lean in and, and be a shoulder to cry on and listen. Third level listening is, um, I think Marcy calls it. Um, but but it's different for different people, not just based on gender. Um, my husband will come out fine if he's just alone in his cave for a little while. Um, you know, that pursuit retreat thing. So what do you, what do you think, Katie, on on this? No, I think it's, it's huge. Um, and I have, I have a good girlfriend who very unrelated to COVID lost a child, but you know, she'll say over and over again, how hard it is when people just act like it never happened. Wow. Um, and so I think, and you know, so I think that need, that human need persists pandemic or no. So people need to feel acknowledged that this loss did happen, but then also it's okay. How do we, still show some TLC in the age of social distancing. Um, you know, texting is, is not that intimate, <laughs> but maybe it's what we have right now. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I've learned a lot about grief from Ashley and how she processed her loss, but, you know, she said, you know, say my daughter's name, bring her up because it's, she said, it's not, you're not reminding me that she died. I know that she died. I know every day that she died. Yeah. But when you bring it up, you are, acknowledging that it's okay for me to be remembering that, that, um, that I'm not alone in this, that I didn't make this up, you know, that it's, um, you're validating my feelings. Yeah. That, that's, so, you know, we're, we're coming, we're coming up on mother's day, which pandemic or yeah. now is loaded for a lot of people. And so I think, you know, it's similarly just saying, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about you. This may be a tough day with, with what happened or, you know, you know, hey, I, I just remember, you know, going back to stories like, hey, I just remember that time that so and so did this. And, and, you know, maybe we are stuck with shitty text sympathy right now, but that's what we have. Yeah. And, and I do think that checking in, um, it matters, it helps. So let me ask you this. Um, I love that she had the courage to tell you what she needs from you, you know, and you didn't have to guess. She said, you know, mention her name. I know that. Yeah. That's very powerful. Does she, do you feel like she feels that you're there whenever she needs you? I hope so. Um, you know, she's, we're definitely pandemic lifelines. We were texting earlier, <laughs> just about, you know, petty oh. irritations, <laughs> unrelated to, unrelated to grief. Um, but I also know, you know, her, well, her, mother, her mother passed. 
her mother passed. Oh my God. She lost a daughter and then Mother's Day is in 48 hours. And that's wow. going to be a tough day. Um, that's a tough day no matter what. But um, think about people who are also, you know, grieving in the pandemic. Maybe there are people who've lost their mothers um, six weeks ago, but but Mother's Day can be kind of triggering. Yeah. Um, it's a good time for all of us to reach out if we know people who've been affected by this. Wow. That's super sad. Um, geez, you know, I, I, I don't know her, but she has, you know, I, I'm sending her love right now. So um, that is super sad. I, I'm, I don't even know what to do with that. Like you lose your mom and you lose your child. Wow. Um, yeah. But thank you for sharing. Um, I will, but I will send for the resources. Um, Laura Click, who I think we've mentioned before, runs the Make It Brave podcast. Um, but she has a great article on what to say when you don't know what to say. <laughs> Which I think is there a are, lot of this podcast. So yeah, bring her in. I know who right? about. you introduced me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are circumstances, um, whether it's, you know, right now, there are so many of them, whether it's your business is suffering or a loved one is suffering or you're depressed and you're isolated that we're dealing with just unprecedented sadness. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's okay to just say this sucks and I don't know what to say, but I love you. I mean, that's, that's an okay, valid thing to say. Yeah. I find comfort in that when somebody's like, okay, so this is not as serious as losing a loved one, but for some it is, let's say you lose, um, you know, through a breakup, your boyfriend, and then all your girlfriends come to you and say, oh, he was a loser and he was terrible and you're better off without him. That doesn't make anyone feel better. It makes you feel like, <laughs> no. hey, I, I have bad choice making right. or you know, the best thing you can hear is it's hard. It hurts. You loved him. It was sad. He's gone. It's terrible. I feel your pain. Um, you know, take NyQuil right now. But um, <laughs> I, I think that you don't see that very often. I think like, so, so I mentioned a friend earlier and I, she, she went through a divorce and everybody started calling her husband loser and saying that how he had cheated and all this stuff that did not make her feel better you know it's like no. you end up defending your own um bad decision or bad choice or your own because there were good times obviously or there were some things that brought you together but i'm just saying that yes what you just said is the true um definition of empathy like really you know this sucks this is terrible you're right to feel that way and um, yeah. those who aren't allowing you to feel that way are wrong and just, you know, turn off your listening ears when they come around, click, click, you know, um, this is, a, this is a total mm -hmm. tangent. Um, but I know Marcy and Susan, you'll appreciate this. One of my favorite reactions, um, to my divorce, um, a lawyer I worked with said, you know, I don't meddle in affairs of the heart, but congratulations or condolences whichever one applies and i'm on your side <laughs> wow, wow. wow. That's, that's, that's pretty um that is very feeling and warm for a lawyer i mean i think in lawyer talk right. that's pretty uh powerful <laughs> okay, let's not pick on the lawyers cheese hey, I'm married to one, but I'm just saying, you know, men don't usually like to get all warm and fuzzy and dramatic and deep and all that stuff. So I think for not only a man, but for a lawyer, that's pretty good, good language. That was his way of opening the door to you to say, let's do this. So 
Um, I like that actually. I like that. Let's talk one, uh, one or two more things that you can do. Uh, provide mental health support if you can. Now we do our best here as just three or four chicks dishing, depending on the day, um, the Friday of the week. Uh, it's usually four of us. Sometimes it's three of us, but we dish about this stuff. We are not healthcare professionals. Just to know, you know, we'll send you where you need to go. We'll give you resources. Lindsay for sure has provided some amazing um, telephone numbers and links and email addresses. So if you need any of that, please go to our group on Facebook and look up the show notes and click a link because, you know, don't wait for that. That That is something you don't want to put off. If you need to talk to someone, if you need to get support from someone who actually has the tools and resources to help you heal, that's the number you want to call. Last, Always go professional. Go ahead. <laughs> Always go professional, I say. Yeah, yeah. Go pro or go home, right? That's um, right. Actually, that's not even a thing. <laughs> I just made that up. It's go big. Yeah. <laughs> no. well, let's do it. Go pro or go home. Go pro or don't go. How about that? Um, <laughs> lastly, plan for the future. You know, don't forget there'll be a day when we get through this, whatever the other side looks like. Uh, that's impossible to predict when or what it'll look like uh, right now, but we will um, get to some place different. The one constant in life is change. And um, I don't speak French very well, but if any of you do, you know there's that saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same or vice versa. But that's true. We will get to the other side of this, you know? And, and you need to think about positive activities and um, ways that you'll spend your time once this changes. And, you know, not to be morose, but, in the times when I was most unsure in this crisis, what I found peace in is being innovative, being creative, saying, what can I do to pivot in this time? What can I do to, um, you know, protect myself, my family, and my business on the other side of this so that I'm not on the other side of it going, oh my God, it doesn't look anything like it did before. You know, life is not at all like it was before. And I'm going to now have to be creative and innovative to survive. No, now's the time to do that. While you're sitting in this space, wondering what it might look like, know that things will never, ever be what they were. Never. I, I don't care if if you're one of those crazy pandemic people who watch that silly video that's now nowhere to be found. Have any of you heard of it? Oh, Lord. Oh my I heard God. about it. But <laughs> yeah. Well, don't go looking for it, folks, because it's been pulled off the internet as just the bunk that it is. But if you're still one <laughs> of those loony people, and I'm going to call you like you are, if you're one of those loony people who thinks this is a hoax, um, after I'm done telling you to go F yourself, I'll probably tell you that um, you should still practice social distancing and wear a mask so that you yourself don't get this and die. <laughs> Um, but that'll be all that I should say today. Anybody else want to say <laughs> No, I, I definitely think we need to close on that note. <laughs> I love you, ladies. And I'll see you next week. Um, if you have any resources to put in the show notes, do so, because you know we'll load them up within probably an hour or so. All right. Thanks, awesome. everybody. Great. Have a good day. You too.